Good morning. It is a joy, it is a blessing that God has given us this time to be together, to worship him, to spend time together in his word. Uh, and that's where I want to, to draw your attention. Uh, that's where the power is. Uh, that's where we want our focus to be today. Uh, over the last month, we have been looking at a series of, of charts, uh, evangelism outlines, uh, entitled Coming to Know God. Uh, and my, my purpose for presenting these is kind of twofold. One, that it might help ground us in some of the foundational truths of the gospel, but also that it might equip us to be able to share those uh, and teach those with others. Uh, this is one tool that you can use as you seek to, to share the gospel with others. We looked uh, initially at an outline entitled, Know Your Purpose, starting with the question, what is the purpose of life? Why did God create us? If there is indeed a creator, then really he's only the only one that can tell us why we're here. And in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created us in his image to reflect his character, be a self-portrait of his glory, uh, a mirror of his glory. Uh, and so our highest goal in life, uh, the goal for which we were created, is to imitate God. Uh, and the only way we can do that is by coming to know him. Uh, and so that really is the foundation for why, why we want to come to the Bible, why we want to spend time coming to understand who God is and who it is that he desires for us to be in turn. But we saw also uh, that we've all failed in that. In fact, miserably failed uh, in reflecting God's character and glory. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so we're like ruined paintings and broken mirrors. Uh, and we rightly deserve to be thrown out. Uh, failing in our, our purpose, uh, the wages of sin is death. And yet, uh, the last outline that we looked at, no God's solution, we saw that God is not only a God of justice, but a God of great love and mercy. Uh, and he was not willing to surrender us to our brokenness, uh, but he reached down through Jesus Christ and essentially told us if, if we are going to be eternally separated from him, we're, if we're going to go to hell, we're going to have to go there over Jesus' dead body. Um, he sent his son to take our place, uh, to take our punishment, to pay the price for our sins, to conquer our death, uh, that we might be able to be saved. But we ended that outline last time seeing that, that essentially what that means for us is that we can no longer live for ourselves. As long as we're living for self, uh, we're still broken mirrors and ruined paintings. We still are failing in that purpose. Uh, the only way for that image to be restored is we're no longer living for self, but living for Christ. Uh, and so we want to talk today about how, how do we take part in the salvation that has been offered to us? Um, is there something that we need to do? The two verses that, that I had Mike read for us just a moment ago, both use the phrase, obeying the gospel. You know, the word gospel means good news. That's what we've been talking about, the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ. But not only is the gospel something to be heard and received and accepted and believed, it's also something to be obeyed something to be responded to. And so what I want, what I want us to do today is, is to ask the question, okay, well, what, what does that mean of me? How, how do I put my old life behind? How do I take on this new life in Jesus? What, what, what is required of me? Uh, what is God calling me to do to receive this gift of salvation, of a restoration of fellowship, a restoration of my purpose uh, in him? And where, where we'll start with that um, if I can find our clicker, here we go, um, is with two passages, one of which we looked at at the end of our last study, 
uh, Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, we see that Jesus died for all men. Hebrews 2 and verse 9, Jesus made a little lower than the angels. It says, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. Uh, Jesus' death wasn't just, you know, for a select group of people, this propitiation, this atonement, redemption, uh, wasn't just for a chosen few. Uh, He didn't play favorites. He tasted death for all people. This this gift of uh, salvation of atonement through his death is offered to all. Remember John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, And you see that same idea in Titus 2 and verse 11, that God's grace has uh, offered salvation to all men. Uh, Paul says to Titus there in verse 11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. God's grace has not just been extended to some, it's been extended to all. Uh, This gift of salvation has been offered to all of humanity. Uh, But, the question that we need to uh, grapple with here is what we then read elsewhere in the scriptures. If you're going to turn your Bibles with me to Matthew 7. Matthew 7. Here towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Notice what Jesus says in verse 13 and 14. Verse 13, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Do you see a difference there? Jesus died for all people. God's grace has brought salvation, offering it to all people. And yet Jesus says that most people are going to go on a broad way that leads to destruction. That only few are going to go on this narrow way, this narrow gate that that leads to life. And so evidently, there there is something that I need to do, right? There there is some response on my part. Um, Salvation is conditional. Now, I want to make it very clear as as we talk uh, about these things that salvation is 100% the the work of God. It's not that God does 50% and I do 50%, you know, and I I kind of have, uh, uh, you know, part uh, uh, partnership in, in, in accomplishing this work of salvation. It's not that he does 80% and I do 20% or he does 90 and I do 10%. Uh, I can't earn even 1%, even a fraction of a percent of my salvation, right? What Jesus has accomplished through the cross is not something that I'm able to do for myself. Salvation from start to finish is the gift of God. And yet that doesn't mean that there's not something that I have to do in order to receive this gift. And and let me illustrate it this way. And this this is an imperfect illustration, but hopefully it will get this point across. Uh, If I were to give you a check for a million dollars, if I have the capability of doing such a thing, uh, and I give it to you as a gift, would, would you have to do anything to receive access to those funds? Well, you'd have to accept the check, right? You'd probably have to write your name on the back. You'd have to take it to the bank, and you'd have to deposit or cash it, right? Now, if you did that, could you then go out and say, I earned this million dollars because I I accepted it, or because I wrote my name on it, because I took it to the bank? Of course not. 
Now, you had to do something to, to receive those, th- that gift, but that did not even earn you a single cent of that million dollars. In the same way, what we're going to see is, is God does require a response of us. Uh, and we're going to look through the scriptures to see how God describes that response. But we need to understand that this is not us somehow earning some portion of our salvation or, or accomplishing the salvation for ourselves. On our own, we're, we're broken mirrors, we're ruined paintings, we're going to stay that way. But God has given us the opportunity by what he has accomplished, by his plan of salvation, that if we're willing to respond, we can take part in that. We can receive uh, the gift. So we're going to continue to use that illustration to help us understand some of the things that we're going to read. But what I want us to try to do is just go through the New (laughs) Testament and see what it is that God describes, what it is that God tells us we need to do in order to receive this gift of salvation that he's he's given to all men. on a most basic level, you might be familiar with John 3 and verse 16. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Do you see something that God tells us we need to do in response to this gift of his son? We need to believe in him. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, uh, the king, the son of God. Believe that Jesus did die for our sins. That he can cleanse me. That he can make me new. Um, believe that he can give me hope of eternal life. Faith is where it starts. Faith is the most foundational aspect of, of our response to the gospel. We're saved by grace through faith. Uh, Ephesians 2. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Hebrews 11 and verse 6. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Uh, and so most foundationally, we, we need to believe Uh, in the truth of who Jesus is and what he's done for us in order to receive that gift. But as foundational as that is to really everything else that we're going to talk about, we need to recognize that that's not intended to be alone. Turn your Bibles with me to James chapter 2. James chapter 2 And for time's sake, we're going to read kind of some excerpts of this passage. I'd encourage you to read uh, the entire context here on your own as well. Uh, But look, first of all, in verse 14, James 2 and verse 14. James says, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? He's asking a rhetorical question here. Can that faith save him? And the implied answer is no. Uh, A faith that is an empty shell of a faith that that doesn't actually live that faith, that doesn't actually respond in faith, that doesn't work that faith, is not really a faith at all. It's what James is going to call a dead faith here. Uh, The answer is no, that faith is not a a saving faith. Look down in chapter 2 and verse 19 and 20. He goes on to say, you believe that God is one. You do well. The demons also believe and shudder. But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? Here, it's important that we believe. We need to most foundationally believe in God, believe who he is, believe that he's a reward of those who diligently seek him. But uh, it's not just an empty belief. He says that that's good, but you know what? The demons believe. The, the demons uh, confessed Jesus as the Christ. They knew who he was. They believed who he was. They even had not only an intellectual response to the identity of who Jesus was, they had an emotional response. They shudder. 
But are you willing to recognize, you foolish fellow, that faith without works is useless? It's dead. Uh, Look what he goes on to say in verse 24. He says, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Uh, Verse 26, for just as the body without the spirit is dead, so also faith without works is dead. Faith is foundational. We, We don't, James is not intending to kind of push aside the importance of faith. He's defining what true faith is here. Um, faith without works isn't really faith. It's dead. It's an empty shell. Uh, the righteous must live by faith. Romans chapter one and verse 17. Um, and so, uh, faith is not intended to, to be on its own, right? Uh, it must be a living and active, a responsive faith. In our illustration that we used earlier, uh, you, you might accept the check and stuff it in your pocket, but if that's all that you do, you're just going to have a piece of paper in your pocket, right? It's not going to do anything for you. And so faith is essential, and yet it's not intended to be alone. Let's see, what, what else does the scripture describe uh, that, that God desires for us to do in order to receive this gift of salvation? Well, we can look in Romans 10. Uh, if you want to turn over there, Romans 10, uh, we'll look actually starting in verse 8. Here he, he's quoting from the Old Testament uh, here in verse 8. Verse 8, it says, But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which you are preaching. Uh, This is coming from the concept that that God didn't, you know, place the word out on some lonely mountaintop somewhere where we have to run out and get it. No, he's he's made it very close to us. He's given it uh, right into our mouth and into our heart. Then he says in verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Do you see something else going on there? He talks about faith, believing in our heart, but he also talks about another element here, confessing with our mouth. Uh, Here God intends that our belief, our faith in Jesus is not... Uh, some hidden, some secret thing. This is something that we publicly confess, uh, and, and not just once initially, but, but continually. Uh, we can't be lights to the world around us if we're not confessing our, our faith uh, publicly, uh, proclaiming our faith in Jesus. Uh, and yet, again, we see that this isn't intended to be alone. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7. And notice what we just read uh, was that if we confess with our mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. But now look at what Jesus says in Matthew 7. Matthew 7, uh, looking in verse 21, beginning uh, 21 through 23, it says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name cast out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. What are these people confessing? Well, exactly what Romans 10 says we need to confess, right? They're confessing Jesus as Lord. Uh, they believe in their hearts that he is Lord and they are making that public uh, profession of of faith in him as Lord. And yet, what does Jesus say here? He says, you can't just call me Lord. (laughs) You you have to treat me as Lord. 
You have to make me Lord of your heart and of your life. Uh, and so we must submit to him. We must obey him as Lord. It can't stop here. Again, you, you could take that check uh, and you could sign your name to it. But, but if you never do anything with it, again, as essential as that is, do, do you need to take the check? Of course you do. Do you need to write your name on it? Of course you do. But, but that's not intended to be alone. And when we see that stated in John 3, when we see that stated in Romans 10, the, as true as those things are, they aren't intended to stand alone. That's not all of what God said uh, that we need to do. And so, yes, we need to believe in our heart. We need to confess our mouth. But it doesn't stop there. Um, what else does the Bible say? Uh, we need to do unto uh, the receiving of this gift of salvation. In, in Acts chapter 3, in verse 19, uh, the second gospel sermon preached uh, in the establishment of, of, of the church after the day of Pentecost, we see in Roman, uh, Acts 3 and verse 19, uh, Peter says, Therefore repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. What do they need to do in order that their sins might be wiped away? In order that they may have fellowship with the Lord, that times of refreshing will come from his presence, this fellowship and relationship with him. It says they need to repent and return. What does the word repent mean? Many times when I ask the question, what what does the word repent mean? Uh, The initial answer that I get is, well, it means feel sorry for your sins. And we'll see in a moment in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 7, that's part of it. But that's not really what the word repent means. Uh, if, if we want to better understand uh, the, the word re- repent, uh, the, the root idea is the idea of, of to think after. Um, it's this change of, of mind or this change of heart followed by a change of life. You notice he says repent and return. Turn your heart and return to Turn your life over to the Lord. Um, if you look in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, maybe that will help us better understand this concept of repentance. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 9 and 10. In verse 9, Paul says, I now rejoice not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God, so that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. You see, their sorrow is involved, right? Sorrow over our sins, conviction over our sins. But he talks about two different types of sorrow. There's a sorrow, a godly sorrow, or a sorrow according to the will of God, and a sorrow that's worldly in nature, right? Maybe I'm sorry over my sins because I got caught and because now I'm having to experience the consequences of my sin coming out into the light. Um, That kind of sorrow, that worldly focused sorrow over the worldly consequences that I'm experiencing, he says that's going to lead to death. Godly sorrow, sorrow according to the will of God that's convicted about what my sin has done to the perfect image of God that he placed in my heart. What I've done against my relationship to him, what my sin has done to Jesus upon the cross, that kind of sin, he says, is going to produce a repentance. That's going to change us. That's going to convict us in such a way, not just that we feel sorry for ourselves, but it's going to convict us in such a way to motivate us to change, to change our hearts, to turn our lives around and turn them over to the Lord. 
Uh, and so not only do we need to believe in our hearts, confess with our mouths, we need to have this change of heart, turning our heart, turning our life over to the Lord, repenting uh, and, and turning back to him. You might think of this as taking the, the check to the bank, right? Um, and once again, though, that's not intended to stand on its own. Turn your Bibles with me to Acts 19. Acts 19 we're going to see kind of a unique situation here uh, where Paul the Apostle uh, comes to Ephesus and there are some people here who have heard the gospel to some extent. They, they've heard what John the Baptist had been preaching. They had heard about this coming Messiah. They don't really know who he is yet. And they had been baptized according to John's baptism. Uh, but notice Paul's interaction with them here. In Acts 19, starting in verse 1, it says, it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. He said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, no, we, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is in Jesus when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Here, what, what's going on here? Uh, you know, had these men repented? Well, yes, they had. It, it says that they were baptized uh, according to John's baptism. They were looking forward to this coming Christ, this coming Messiah. They didn't know who he was. But in preparation for that, they had taken part in this baptism of repentance, getting ready to they're turning their lives around, ready to accept the Messiah. But do they believe in Jesus as the Son of God, as Lord? Have they been able to confess him as Lord? The very two things that we just talked about being essential unto salvation under the new covenant? No. No, they, they were still operating uh, under, uh, really, the, the old covenant, looking forward to this coming Christ. Uh, and so here, they, their repentance... Although it was certainly genuine, it was not with faith in Jesus. And so what, what does Paul have them, them do here? Uh, they then are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They now believe in their hearts, confess with their mouths, we would assume, the, Jesus as Lord uh, and experience the salvation that, that his death upon the cross uh, uh, offered to them. And so you he, see here that, that repentance is not intended to stand on its own either. Right? Imagine it this way. Uh, imagine if you go to the bank to cash a check for a million dollars, but you don't have the check, right? Would that work? <laughs> no, no, it's, it's, it all goes together, right? And faith and confession and repentance all have to go together. And you notice something else mentioned here, uh, and that is baptism. When, when they do learn about Jesus uh, and uh who, who this coming Christ, this coming Messiah was that they were looking forward to, they are then baptized in the name of Jesus. But, but we might ask, have they already been baptized? Yes, they had. They had been baptized under John's baptism, but not with faith in Jesus, not with an understanding of who Jesus is, not confessing Jesus as Lord, um, and not being buried with him and raised to new life with him, as we'll see here in a moment. And so even baptism that we're going to talk about uh, isn't intended to stand on its own, right? Um, you might think of baptism as, as cashing the check. All of those things 
are intended biblically to go together. Um, with our imperfect illustration of, of accepting the check, signing your name to it, going to the bank and cashing it, you can't really take out one of those steps and it work, can you? No, it's all intended to go together. And we see that as we see what the Bible says about baptism, it's intended to go together with these other things. Mark chapter 16, verse 15 and 16, as Jesus tells his disciples what they are to preach. Uh, he says there in verse 15 and 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. They're preaching the good news. Well, what does that include? It says, he who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. What does he say? Part of them preaching the gospel was it going to entail? They need to believe in the truth of what God has accomplished through Jesus Christ for them, and they need to respond in baptism in order to be saved. They, they need to accept the check and cash it, you might say. Um, and so that's part of what God intended uh, to be preached, not only believing the gospel, but obeying the gospel. Uh, look in Acts chapter 8 with me. Acts chapter 8, here we see an example of somebody receiving and responding to the gospel. Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 35, here Philip uh, has encountered the Ethiopian eunuch out uh, on the, the road, uh, and he begins preaching Jesus to him. There in verse 35, it says, Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. Uh, here, what, what, as, as Philip is preaching Jesus, what, what is included? Well, evidently baptism is included. Uh, because as they come along, he says, see, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Uh, and this is one potential uh, example of somebody confessing their faith uh, um, in, in Jesus uh, as they uh, then are, are baptized. They go down into the water uh, and come back up. So you might say here they endorse the check and, and cast it. Um, look as well at Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38. Uh, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit comes, when they first beginning, begin to preach salvation in Jesus, who has died and been rose again, what he preaches the gospel, right? And he preaches the, the, the gospel for uh, you know, th this entire chapter. And then at the very end, he gets to our response to the gospel, right? Um, and what does he say about our response? Look in verse 37 and 38. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What, what were they supposed to do in order to have their sins forgiven? In order to receive this fellowship with the Lord, his spirit dwelling within them? It says they were to repent and each of them be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So do you see how all of these things work together? Uh, none of them is intended to be on its own. This is all part of what God intends for our response. To, to have faith in him, to make that faith public, to confess our faith in him, to turn our lives around over to him, and to start a new life in 
baptism. Uh, what, what are we saying here? You know, many times when, when people start hearing, uh, you know, a focus on, on baptism, they think, well, you're, you're saying that the water saves us. You're saying that, that we, we earn our salvation in some way. That, that's not what we're seeing here biblically at all, right? Th- think about this. Um, think about the Red Sea parting. Whose power parted the Red Sea? God's power, right? Was it, was it anything that Israel did? You know, would they have been able to swim across the Red Sea on their own? No, it, it wasn't them. But could Israel have said, well, God, we see you have the power. We know you have the power, but we're going to stay on this side of the Red Sea. No, they had to walk through, right? Could they get to the other side and say, look at us. Did you see what we just did? You know, no, it wasn't them. It was God's power. Right? And so when we look at what the Bible says about baptism, we're not saying in any way, you know, that God looks down and he's just so impressed by what we've done that he says, you know what, you deserve salvation. (laughs) But we are saying, I believe the Bible is saying, that what God intends for us to do in response is to surrender our lives to him by burying the old man of sin in baptism and by his grace and the power of the resurrection being raised to walk in newness of life. You know, when you think about, well, when, when is it? When is it that my sins get cleansed? When is it that, that I, I develop this relationship with Jesus? H- how is it that, that I go from a state of being that broken mirror in that ruined painting to a state of his image being restored within me? Um, I, I think one thing that might be helpful to think about is that salvation is only found in Christ. Right? We, we talked about that at the end of our last study. It's when it's no longer me who living, but I'm living for Christ. I'm living in Christ. I'm part of his body. Uh, he's living within me. Uh, you see that concept in a couple different passages. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17, we see if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Where, where do we become a new creation? Well, not out here on our own. No, in Christ, we become a new creation by his grace and his power. You see the same concept in Romans 8 and verse 1, where it says, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Where is there no condemnation? Are we justified? Do we get the not guilty verdict? Well, he says it's in Christ, in a relationship with him. The question is, how do we, how do we get into Christ? How do we get into that relationship with the Lord you know, as we've seen, it's, it's by faith, by confession, by repentance. But we're going to see the concept biblically that we are baptized into Christ. How do we get into that relationship, that saving relationship with him? Uh, it's described as happening in baptism. We are buried with Christ. Look with me in Romans chapter 6. Romans 6 and verse 3 and 4. Here, Paul, talking to people who who are Christians uh, that he's writing to here in Rome, he reminds them of what they have done in the past. He says in verse 3 and 4, Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. How do we get into Christ Jesus says, as many of you as were baptized into, baptized into Christ Jesus, you were baptized into his death. And what's happening there? 
He said, you, you buried your old man of sin. You, you were joining Jesus in the grave by burying your old life in the waters of baptism and being raised by, by the power of the resurrection to start a new life. By God's grace, that's where the new life starts. Is when I respond in repentance uh, and bury by God's grace, that old man sin, uh, of sin in the waters of baptism. You see a similar concept in John chapter 3 and verse 5 when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. Remember he says to Nicodemus in John 3 and verse 5, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. If we want to be part of the kingdom of God, we want to be kingdom citizens, we want to have Jesus as our king, it says we need to be born again, start a new life in water and the spirit. Well, where, where did Romans 6 say I start that new life? It says I bury my old man in the waters of baptism and I'm raised to walk in newness of life. That's, that's our new birth. You see this idea of water and the spirit. Remember Acts 2 and verse 38, they were baptized and they would receive the gift of God's spirit. It's not just the, the water. It's not some magical power in the water. That's not what we're talking about. But it is my response of obedience uh, my obeying the gospel, uh, that there God, by his spirit, by his power, cleanses me and, and gives me this renewed relationship and fellowship with him through his spirit dwelling within me. Galatians 3 and verse 27, again, talking to Christians here. Paul says, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. As long as it's me who's living still, right? I, I'm, it, it's still Grady who's living here. That, that I'm a broken mirror. I'm a ruined painting. But if I'm baptized into Christ, and in doing that, I put my life under the grave. I, I put my life behind me by God's grace, by his power. Then I'm clothed with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so, again, it's not that God does 90% and we do 10. You know, it's not, not that, uh, you know, God did most of the work, but now we got to do some of the work. That, that's not what we're saying at all. No, God parted the waters of the Red Sea 100% by his power, right? Israel wasn't coming along and kind of helping push the waters up or anything like that, right? Um, it was 100% his power into his glory. But there was a response required. And so you see that God requires for us to obey the gospel, respond to the gospel, to walk through the waters of the Red Sea, that by his grace we may be released from the bondage of sin behind us and start a new life by his grace, by his spirit in him. Uh, and so if, if we want to understand what it is that, that God has revealed to us, that his word shows us that we need to do in order to receive this gift a fellowship with him, of restoration of our purpose, of his perfect image within us, of no longer living for ourselves, but living for him. Uh, we need to respond in faith. Not a dead faith, but a living faith. A living faith that is willing to confess that belief, uh, not only once, but continually. Uh, a faith that is willing to turn around, to turn our hearts and our lives around, to surrender them over to him. Out of conviction of what we've done, now determining that we're no longer going to follow our, our own selfish ways. We're going to follow him from now on. And putting to death by God's grace that old man of sin in baptism. That we might be raised to a new life in him. 
and, and this isn't just kind of a like one-time thing that now you got your you know your get out of hell free card your your uh, you know you, you got your hand stamped and now now you're good. The, the entire idea of repentance and baptism is that you are starting a new life, right? He didn't just come to, to cleanse us. He came to transform us. Um, and so that means that from now on, I'm no longer living for myself, but I'm living for him. So I, I, I think it's helpful to understand uh, this initial response, this obeying the gospel. But let's not think of that as I check these boxes and now that's, that's it, right? No, this is all part of me surrendering my life over to him, not just calling him Lord, but treating him as Lord in my life from day to day. But if you haven't done this, um, that, then you haven't obeyed the gospel. Um, and, and maybe you've done part of it. Maybe you're like the people in Acts 19 who, who did some of the things but didn't understand all of the things. What, what did they do? They didn't say, well, we got most of it right. No. They said, we... We need to be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Um, and so if you recognize that you've done some of this, but you, you haven't responded to the gospel, obeyed the gospel, the way that we see people responding in the book of Acts, the way that we see spoken about throughout the epistles, then won't you do that today? Um, God has offered us something so much more valuable than a million dollars, right? He's offered us an eternal inheritance of fellowship with him, being able to be in the presence of the source of all things good for all eternity. There's nothing that we need more, nothing we should desire more. And God has parted the Red Seas. Will, will you walk through it? Will you respond? Will you surrender your life to him? Uh, if you recognize that there is some change that you need to make, some way that you need to obey uh, the gospel as we've seen it uh, presented here today, uh, or maybe you've done that, but you're not living it. Uh, maybe you at one time declared the old man dead, but you kind of went back and dug him up and, and he's still living uh, and kicking. Well, then let's do something about that. By God's grace, uh, he's able to give us victory over sin. He's able to strengthen us through the support of our brethren, through, through the guidance of his word, through his spirit dwelling within us to, to live this new life, no longer for ourselves, but for him. If there's any way that we can help you in your relationship with the Lord and developing that relationship for the first time, coming back to the Lord, that, that's why we're here is to help one another, uh, to know the Lord, to fulfill the purpose for which you're created, to, to reflect his perfect image within us by his grace. Uh, so if there's some way that we can help you, won't you let us do that at this time? We're going to stand uh, and sing a song, and if you're subject to the invitation, we ask that you come forward and make that known. <laughs>